This episode of Storylines is brought to you by GIFT. Girls in Film and Television is a nonprofit organization committed to giving teen girls hands-on instruction and mentorship in all aspects of filmmaking. To find out more, visit girlsinfilmtv.com. Welcome to Storylines, a podcast brought to you by WIFTA, Women in Film and Television, Alberta. I'm your host, Sheena Rossiter. On this week's episode... I think people are hungrier than ever for content. We're in conversation with producer Bonnie Thompson. The biggest thing about working with budgets is scaling. I mean, you might have huge dreams about a project, and you should go there right from the beginning, dream big, but then scale back. Bonnie Thompson has over 80 producer credits. She worked for more than three decades at the National Film Board of Canada out of the Northwest Studio in Edmonton. And as a creative producer, she's been the third eye behind projects like the interactive documentary Bear 71. The next thing I know, I'm wearing a a VHF collar and I have my own radio frequency. They also gave me a number. Bear 71. She was one of the producers on the feature documentary Angry Anook. Some of my earliest memories are of seal hunting as a family. And she was also the producer on the Oscar-nominated animated short Wildlife. I believe I may now call myself... A rancher. Oh, give me a ranch in a big pair of pants and give me a Stetson too and let me wahoo, wahoo, wahoo. Producing is in Bonnie's blood, and even though she's now retired from the National Film Board, she's still actively producing films and helping young Alberta filmmakers find their way in the industry. Bonnie, thanks so much for joining us today. Mm, it's a pleasure. How did you get your start in the film industry? It wasn't something that you necessarily planned to get into now, was it? Well, no. As a matter of fact, when I grew up, I saw very little television or movies. So I really love stories, though. I read and read and read. And at one point, I, I really thought I'd love to make films. And I could see the films in the books I was reading. I was in university doing art, fine arts, and then we went traveling. And during that time, I thought, I really would love to go to film school. So I went to York University and started a film degree, didn't finish it, came home, and uh, came home back here to Alberta. It's amazing how the world works. I actually had worked a lot in community development. And then I noticed that the Northwest Studio of National Film Board was looking for a women's film development officer to work alongside Studio D, and which was in Montreal. And so I applied for that job, but it was such a wonderful marriage for me of my love of story, my, of course, feminist ideals, and my foray into film. What was the first film that you worked on? Do you remember? Well, I actually was marketing a film called Two Safer Place. Jeffrey cried more than most babies, and I used to be afraid I'd abuse him. I tried to get help, but no one would believe how frightened I was. 
those feelings seem to have gone away now. Uh, I had just started at the film board. This was a film that was produced by Beverly Schaefer out of Studio D. It was about sexual abuse. This is a topic that had hardly ever been talked about openly. And to bring that film to Edmonton, we did a public screenings of it. Because this wouldn't be a film you'd find on television in those days. This was 1987. And there were lineups. We, we were, it was profound for me. It was amazing to see the power of a film that spoke to so many people that were never able to speak about things that had happened in their lives. So it was the beginning then of working on, with social issue films and finding ways to get them to audiences. And of course, working with the women's community was especially exciting. At that time, there weren't a lot of films made by women, especially documentaries. You know, it was the voice of men telling us what we, they thought they knew about us. And so it was radical. I mean, it's not that long ago, 30 years ago. But women were just starting to pick up the camera and saying, this is my life. And it was so political because it was about their own lives told by them rather than having anybody else explore and look at and document their lives, our lives, really. It was our lives. So I was continually, during the time I was working at the National Film Board with the women's program, it was so exciting because here were all these topics that women were talking about that we hadn't talked openly about. So it was wonderful. So what did you learn from these projects that when you were giving a voice to people who were traditionally voiceless, what did you realize when they got out and there were lineups around the corner that there was a need for these type of films? What was the learning experience from that? Oh, the learning experience was that we need to find ways to help women, and not just women, but absolutely people that hadn't had a voice. We needed to find ways that they would be able to tell their stories because their stories were our stories. You've gone on to make such great films, and one film in particular that really made a huge impact was Angry Anook. What was it like working on that film? Animal groups have been fighting since the 1960s to shut down the sealskin trade. And the prices for each skin fell from around $100 down to about $10. Well, it was a process film, and it was amazing to work with Alethea, who is so smart and aware and angry, but very measured. The, the topic was critically important to her people, to the Inuit. And, you know, it's a point-of-view film in the end, so... Alethea putting her own story into that film really gave it authenticity. It grounded it. But it's not easy for a filmmaker to tell their own story in the middle of a bigger story of their people. So it wasn't an easy film to tell. And Alethea's life was happening at the same time. She had a child. There was a lot of things happening in her life. So so it took a while to make it, but because we were able to take time and she was able to tell us about her life 
as the story unfolded. In fact, we even saw the social media that was in response to a lot of the activities that she was doing around the film. So there's a real power in that. There's a power in people, women filmmakers, telling their own stories in the larger story. But they're not easy films to make because they're playing so many roles. Now, for people who may not be familiar with Angry Nook, what's it about? Angry Nook is about the Inuit fighting for the right to hunt and sell their seal skins. They were up against the European Union ban on seal skins that a lot of celebrities had helped and lobbied to put in place. But as the film progressed, what really became clear are the animal rights groups had so much of an impact on creating those bands and helping create those bands while blatantly telling untruths about the state of the seal population, uh, how they were hunted by the Inuit. So, in the end, Alethea telling that story, she tells the story of her people and how not being able to hunt for seal had such an impact on her community. Huge impact. It created situations where people weren't able to go out in the land to hunt this healthy food where communities really were devastated because they weren't in connection with their land. You mentioned the word, their impact. Our roles as documentary filmmakers is to really take a social issue or highlight something that is happening in a person's world through their perspective and bring it out to the world to create an impact. For this film in particular, what was the impact after the film was released? Well, it had a huge impact. I remember sitting with Alethea in the back of a van at the Berlin Film Festival. It was a radio station out of the back of a van, so German. And they were interviewing Alethea. But this is what we heard often, and this announcer said, you know, I didn't realize. I didn't realize my support of Greenpeace would have this impact on a human population. And so many people said that, that we willy-nilly kind of sign up for things. Maybe not so willy-nilly, but we don't understand what our actions have on other people or other communities. And so many people said, I didn't understand that. So that was the non-Inuit community. It was important for the southern community to hear that. But for the northern community, it was their story. It affirmed their story. When you go and work on projects or if somebody approaches you with a project as a producer, how do you decide what kind of project to take on? Because you mentioned there the impact that supporting Greenpeace could have on a community. Do you take into consideration the bigger picture of the message that the documentary is getting across? Well, of course, the social issue is always present. And it feels important then to tell stories, but it's often the story that seduces me. It's Alethea's own story. It's the story of the Inuit. I'm like, 
things that I didn't know about or had never thought about that I'm curious about, that's what always leads me into producing documentaries because it's like, I want to know everything about this or I want to go on this journey with this filmmaker that is going to take me to another world that shifts the way I see things. And frankly, every film I've worked with, I feel like I've been shifted over a bit, sometimes wildly shifted and sometimes slowly and other times, you know, just a bit. But I see the world differently every time. And what an incredible gift that is. As a producer, you have to collaborate strongly with your directors and other collaborators. It's almost like a marriage, as you've said before, because you you work together for so long as a team. What have you learned from some of your collaborators along the way? Well, I always learn from filmmakers and in different ways. I mean, there's just the, the information in the film and learning about that, just like immersing yourself. But, you know, it's an emotional journey. Film is about the intellectual process, a good film. And it's also about what you carry in your heart. So your head and your heart are working together, right? And so it's in both levels. It's, it's learning about something. But, you know, learning about something is interesting. But it's shifting the way you see the world. And that's often an emotional shift. And then you can never look at the world the same. And many of those filmmakers that I've worked with, people like Tasha Hubbard, people like Alethea for sure, have really impacted the way I've looked at the world. It's so easy to assume that you see the world and your world is, your perception is the truth, right? And so to realize that, that I have seen my perception is a colonial perception. And being able to to ask questions, or maybe not even ask questions, but observe. That's even a better learning process. But, but realizing and listening and understanding that there are other ways of living, other truths, and, that, and to understand for myself that I'm seeing the world through a certain gaze. A privileged white woman, really. Just... Shifting gears here slightly, it's it's been said before that directing is the art and producing is the science behind the film. And being a producer, it, it is a rather broad term. You have to do pretty much everything. So where have you really kind of put this focus in order to make a successful production? What, what makes a, a successful production? Well, producing is different for every project you're involved with. So I have been all sorts of kinds of producers. You know, I have had all sorts of roles. And when I'm working with a really experienced producer, I might work differently than I would with somebody that's emerging that needs me to fill in some roles in different ways. So that's the excitement. I mean, no project is the same. No relationship is the same. And even, you know, I might be on shoots continually on some projects. Other projects, I'm not so much. I might be really present in the editing room where the world exists of the footage and that's it. I might be involved politically in trying to get something made. I might be dealing with communities. I might just be bringing coffee. (laughs) 
But, and of course, I'm responsible for the overall budget and that bigger picture. But, you know, the author is the filmmaker. And my job at the very heart of producing is to support that filmmaker's vision and try and bring, you know, the best team to support him or her. And for me to find the role that best supports that filmmaker as well. The hardest part of producing is that budget, is controlling that. What, what are some tricks or tactics that, or advice you might have for emerging filmmakers around creating, creating a budget, which is probably the backbone of any production? It is. And, you, and really, everything you do is reflected in that budget. At the National Film Board, I was, of course, really privileged to be working with budgets that were substantial budgets for projects. That's not to say that we didn't look at ways we could put that money up on the screen so things look better often than the budget involved. But I think the biggest thing about working with budgets is scaling. I mean, you might have huge dreams about a project, and you should go there right from the beginning, dream big, but then scale back. Maybe you can't make a feature. Maybe it's a 15-minute film. But frankly, you know, a lot of 15-minute films get seen by bigger audiences than a feature doc. So I think it's a matter of scale. It's a matter of realistic budgeting, but it's also a matter of dreaming and seeing how you can make honestly the best project with what you have. And I know so many emerging filmmakers, they become labor of love. And that's great. I mean, sometimes we have to do that, frankly, in our, our projects. But at a certain point, you want to have a good-sized budget where everybody's being paid. It's really important. It's important. This is a business as much as it is a craft and an art. So people need to be paid, people need to eat, we need to create great stories, but it needs to be realistic as well. Is that a role of the producer, is that you toe that line between you want people to dream big, but then you also help ground them in their dreams with what's realistic within the budget and the means that you have? Yeah, absolutely. That's really critical, and and reviewing the budget constantly is an important role of the producer. Yes, I mean, I, I have at times said to even really experienced filmmakers that we're so driven to say, we have to do this, we have to do this, we have to do this, because they, they wanted it so badly. It wasn't realistic, but it's like, are you willing to cut your salary or your fee to do this? And even asking that question, right? No, not necessarily. But then looking at how could we do this in a, in a different way. One thing that I think is really interesting and that I have loved is being pushed to look at how we tell stories in different ways. And it might be in a completely different way than when we started thinking about a project. And so it could be maybe we do something in a different uh, genre or format. Is this an animation? Mind you, animations are often expensive. Or is this interactive? Or is, can we do this in three or four parts? 
So just always being, I think budgeting is as creative as it is. Completely. Yeah. It requires a serious amount of lateral thinking and how (laughs) how to get to your end goal, maybe not through the most linear path. That's right. And there's always kind of the budget, the realistic budget and the dream budget. Of course. So is that is that something that's important for somebody starting out then to accept that there's a realistic budget and then there is a dream budget? I totally believe that's for any of us, even experienced producers. For someone who wants to be a producer here in Canada, what are some of the ABCs of people wanting to get a project off the ground? Well, you know, this industry is a tough industry, and you really have to be persistent. But stories can be told in so many different ways. The same story can be a feature. It could be a science doc. It might be more current affairs. It could be a POV piece. could be an essay. And so really figuring out what your story is and how you would visually tell it is critically important at the same time that you're looking at how can you fund this. Of course, there's the arts direction, right? Where the filmmaker has the rights to the project and it, it's more auteur. And then there's the industry model. So in the industry model, you're looking for funding and it's a business. And so... You're, so I think you're balancing what your story is and how you want to tell your story with the kind of funds that are out there. So if you're starting out, you really have to define your story, know how you want to tell it, and then find the funds. Or else you might say, I want to make something for this audience. How do I get funds to to do it? So, I mean, it's a it's a... I think it's a very difficult process and it needs great dreamers because that's where it always starts. It's like, this is a story I want to tell. Are are funding models changing a little bit as we progress more into the age of the internet? I see it has, definitely. And of course, online, I mean, frankly, you might have great audiences online for a project. The difficulty, though, is helping people find your project. So along with then producing, you almost need an impact producer, somebody that's working alongside you, letting the world know how they find a product project in the end. Is it getting harder than to find projects because we're flooded with content? No. You can make... You know how many love stories have been written? <laughs> and they're still being written? No, I think people are hungrier than ever for content. And and I think writing has become better and better and better in television, in documentaries. Technology has really pushed the forms in very exciting ways, I believe. I also am so excited when there's a mashup of uh, forms, right? Interactivity, interactive documentaries or or even VR and AR, you know, all of these things impact the way we see the world. And maybe maybe approaching story first and then saying, how can we, what audience do we, What? who is this, the audience we think is important? And then looking at the format, 
One of your career highlights, it came in the form of animation. It was with the animated short, Wildlife. Can you tell me a little bit about the journey of that film? The coyotes are calling. It's time to go home. Wildlife is an interesting film because it's an Alberta story done by uh, Wendy Tilby, Amanda Forbes, brilliant animators. They lovingly painted every frame of this story. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece. So it's so well-crafted, but they're good storytellers too. And like great storytellers, they look for collaboration. They look for, for feedback. They're so open to showing you something and saying, what do you think? And how, how does this story work? So it was wonderful to follow their craft and support their craft and their storytelling. And they had had a previous film that had been nominated for an Academy Award. And Wildlife was also um, nominated for an Academy Award. So that was, you can imagine how exciting that was. It was thrilling. Did you get to go down then? Yes. At that time, animators were nominated as opposed to, you know, any other kind of genre. Producers would be nominated, but uh, animators were. And well-deserved, I must say, they made it, right? But they, of course, took the co-producer, Marcy, and myself as their guests. So it was, like, fabulous. It was wonderful. Everyone's dreamed to be close to that Oscar red carpet. Oh, of course. You know, yes. But at the same time, there was a tour organized for the animators and producers, and we were able to go to all the Southern California's animation studios from Pixar to DreamWorks to Lucas Sky Ranch. To it, That was as good as being at the Oscars, frankly. And, you know, the whole, what was this rewarding, too, is to tell Alberta stories in this way, right? It's an Alberta story seen by the world then. You've worked on so many projects, and what are a few that really stand out to you? Well, there are so many different reasons that films stand out to me, but in the end, it's the audiences that we want to see. I mean, it's it's all about who sees them. And so a short film like Namrata that Shazia Javid did a few years ago, it's, you know, 15 minutes. It's about domestic abuse in the South Asian community. And it has had so many audiences. So a short film like that, it's so rewarding to work on because it speaks to an audience. And it's maybe a niche audience, but I should say that, that you know, Many films are universal, and with nuance, they become targeted to a community, but they still have a universal theme. But so short films like that, I think, have been really rewarding because they go out into the world and communities embrace them. They speak about their own community. And of course, then on the other hand, working with someone like Tasha Hubbard on three films I've produced with her, starting with Two Worlds Colliding many, many years ago. Tasha and I were both new at that time and learned with each other. But Birth of a Family, 
which Tasha produced a few years ago, about the 60 scoop. That's a story that Canadians needed to know. And it's one story, right? It's about one family, uh, siblings that found each other and that had all been scooped. But that, that film had an impact across the country, as has Tasha's film, We Shall Stand Up, her most recent film. These are films, once again, that have helped me see the world in a whole different way. And I feel like I have a responsibility to support filmmakers to be able to tell those stories that help us all see the world differently. Working with each filmmaker, I mean, I've, I feel like it's been profound to work with someone like Tasha. I learned so much from her, respect her immensely. What are you working on now? Well, I just came from a shoot. It's a feature documentary I'm working on with Rebecca Campbell, writer-director and co-producer Frederick Croach. And it's about a world that I wasn't that familiar with and kind of shocked at my age not to be more knowledgeable. It's called The Secret Society. And in this film, we're following several stories of women who are infertile and are looking for egg donors. And it's about the egg donors, too, the women that help women. And in Canada, we have a very difficult time to find egg donors because the laws and regulations are not conducive to people or women donating eggs. And so we're following couples that are desperately wanting children and women that are helping them. And some of these couples or women have to even go out of the country to get eggs. But uh, it's Rebecca's story as well. So it's her story as an egg donor. And we'll be weaving all those stories together. But, you know, here I am again, looking at a world that I just never imagined I would be in. Thanks so much for joining us today, Bonnie. Thank you, Sheena. I'm Bonnie Thompson, and these are my three tips for starting out in the industry. Number one, do your homework. Research your film story. Know how you're going to tell it visually as well as just talking about content. And then please, please, please research and understand what funders want before you go and meet with them. Number two, love your story and love the characters. You might not like the characters, but listen and respect them and love this story because it could take a long time to tell it. You're going to live with it for a long time, not just in development, not just in production, but once it's launched and out there, you're going to live with that story. Number three, be persistent. Keep refining your story. Be open to feedback. Some of the best filmmakers I know are open to feedback, are willing to collaborate, want to hear what you think about the story. And keep going back to people that you've gone to 
it's a circle. It's a real circle, and I know it's not easy, but eventually you might close the circle. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning into episode 15 of Storylines. Storylines is the Women in Film and Television Alberta production that's made possible with the generous support from Alberta's Ministry of Culture, Multiculturalism, and Status of Women. Thanks very much to Fava for its support on this production. Thanks very much to this week's guest, Bonnie Thompson. The show's executive producers are Elise Graham, Ava Carvinen, Samantha Quantz, and Teresa Winnick. Shana Giles is our associate producer and social media coordinator. The original storyline's theme is composed by Aaron Macri and Laura Rabode, And I'm your host, senior producer and audio technician, Sheena Rossiter. That's it for the first season of Storylines, but you can go back and listen to any episodes that you like so you can hear inspiring interviews and get tips from leading women in film and television. And you can check us out and subscribe, or if you like what you heard, please leave us a review and tell your friends. But until next time, follow your storylines. We can't wait to see where they lead.